HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. My guest today is John Shaw, the owner of Karma Farms, a diversified vegetable farm in Moncton, Maryland. John, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. So, I'm thrilled to be doing this interview for a few reasons. First of all, um, I think it's the first interview I've done with a human in person in <laughs> months. So that's very exciting. Um, I should say um, to listeners, we're sitting outside, socially distanced, and um, there's a little bit of wind. So you might hear a little bit of um, the wind coming through, but um, just try to picture the fact that we are actually at a farm. Yeah. John, do you want to tell people what we're looking at right now? Yeah, right now, just so you know, we're six feet apart and the microphone is three feet from both of us. (laughs) (laughs) And we are looking at um, most of my farm. We farm about uh, a little over four four acres right now under cultivation. And we're looking at several hoop houses. Uh, a nursery. Uh, we're pretty close to our tomato, eggplant, and pepper field. Uh, in the distance is our winter squash, and there's some other fields that we're preparing for uh, fall planting of winter radish, beets, and carrots. Yeah, it's it's a really really beautiful farm, um, and you know I guess full disclosure I should tell people that also um, I have a different connection to you, which is that I've actually been working here part-time for the last two months, I guess. About that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's, been, it's been such a great experience. Um, and yeah, so we've, we've got a lot in common. Um, so John, let's, uh, we could talk about a lot of things. Um, this, this season of the show has been primarily about the pandemic, like everything else. 
unfortunately. <laughs> um, but specifically about how COVID-19 has affected farms and farmers. And um, I think karma is really interesting because before the pandemic, you're really pretty much a restaurant farm. Is that right? That's right. We About four years ago, we made a, call it a strategic decision in terms of how we wanted to get better at what we do and make the, the not only agriculturally and, and uh, territorially sustainable farm, we also wanted to make it sustainable from a business perspective. And we decided we were, we thought we were pretty good at the restaurant space and we decided to make that 100% of our business. So we gave up our CSA, we, you know, we stopped doing any farmer's markets and we just said, we're just gonna sell to restaurants. Yeah. So it was pretty much 100% restaurants It's like last 98%. Year? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So so tell me, like, when, at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything just shut down, like, what was that day like for you? Uh, it was a little bewildering, yeah. a little scary. Um, what we found was that, you know, some of the people that we were doing business with uh, continued to do business as an essential service doing carry-out business. So there was a, a low level of activity, and we were really f lucky in that it happened at a time which is one of our lowest productivity times on the farm. Right. And it just so happens that things coincided where when we came into the high season, uh, things to some extent opened back up, or at least more people figured out how to do more business through a combination of uh, home delivery, carry out, setting up markets, and um, also doing now there's there's some outdoor seating taking place. Right. Yeah, I guess a, a few months. So it would have been like March, right? And that's probably the month that is the... Well, the middle of March is when, you know... It like hit, the storage it hit, crops are gone. It hit the fan. Yeah. And our, our productivity is down. We have some because we have hoop houses and we do some indoor hydroponic production. Uh, but we were able to sell all of that. Uh, our main pro indoor production is lettuce. And for some reason, we didn't really have any problem selling that mm. um, in into places that were doing carry out. Huh. So, but despite the fact that it was kind of a low production period, you were thinking about, okay, what's going to happen, right? And you did decide to start a CSA, right? Right. We started the CSA. Uh, because we have more off-season production than most local farms, uh, we put the word out and we went from zero members to uh, 90 by overnight. Um, yeah. So because we were the only ones offering the CSA in the middle of March. Uh, it's faded because a lot of the people that... Uh, we, we didn't make the people sign up for the whole season. It was... Basically, you could sign up for a month or you could just buy week to week. Um, so it's gone down some since since the initial sign up because a lot of those people had already signed up with other farms for the main season CSA. Uh, Fortunately, it also coincided with a pickup in the restaurant business. Right, right. So do you, like, what are things like now? I mean, now it's been a few yeah, now, months. Uh, I, I don't know why it's happened, but we've we have almost twice as many customers as we had before the pandemic started. Huh. Now, the average customer order is much smaller than it was, 
but we're around even for where we were last year, with obviously without the pandemic. Yeah. Because we have so many more customers, we've picked up just recently. They they've walked in the door. I don't know where they came from, but we've picked up a couple private clubs, and they're sort of pandemic resistant because the food service component. Uh, you know, people come. They have a lot of outdoor space, and the clubs make their money through dues, not so much through the food. Um, and they're busy, so we we have them. Um, we've been the first to market rec- uh, with tomatoes, so there's always a big rush for people to buy that. So we've had a lot of that demand as well. Yeah, that's interesting that you have more customers. I I think uh, this moment has has resulted in a lot of things happening. And and some some farmers you talk to are like selling everything, couldn't sell more, you know. And then other people are really struggling. And and there's there's a lot of talk about like is this changing how people are thinking about local food like whether they'll support local farms and the fact that you have more customers makes me think like is that that more restaurants are buying locally do you think it it is yeah it is uh i'm not really sure what the reason is um i don't know if there i mean there has maybe been some disruption in the kind of the industrial food chain now and then you know there's always this thing with salmonella and lettuce, you know, it mm-hmm. happens every few months. Um, but I think because of the pandemic, there was some disruption. I have some customers, we're selling stuff. We, we always had a, a philosophy that we wouldn't sell anything that we didn't grow. Mm. Uh, but we've had customers come to us and say, you know, our, our egg suppliers won't provide us eggs anymore. Um, so can you get us eggs? And we found a good place. And we resell eggs now. Hmm. Uh, we're starting to sell some foraged mushrooms, which we never did before. Um, but it does seem to me that there's more people buying locally, both in Baltimore and Washington. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, and did you change, when everything happened, did you change your crop plan at all? Like, did you decide to plant differently knowing that it might not be so much restaurants? Or well, we, we thought about it. Um, the, the thing is, is that most of the crop plan for the main season was done and already mostly planted yeah. in, a lot of it indoors, like by the time the pandemic came. So, you know, our tomatoes were planted, our peppers, our eggplant. Uh, the only thing that wasn't planted were cucumbers and squash and beans. Uh, so we decided since we didn't know what was going to happen, that we would figure out some way to sell it. So we just stuck with our plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, (laughs) we're gonna take a break in a second, but I just had this like random thing pop into my head, which is, I never realized that you're, so you use organic practices, but you're not certified. That's correct. Why is that? Well, there's there's two reasons. Uh, One is we don't, we, uh, up until the pandemic, Yeah we didn't do any quote-unquote retail sales and most restaurants i mean they prefer organic but they don't you know they don't like certify it on their menu and we try to get our customers to come visit the farm they see what we do they know how we operate Uh, there's a couple of other reasons one is we do indoor hydroponic growing and it's very we, we don't use any herbicides or pesticides, which is the really bad part of right. inorganic. But we do use uh, nutrients that are not quote unquote organic. Yeah. So 
that component of our business is not could not be certified right at this point we could try and use organic nutrients i'm not sure what the difference is between organic phosphorus and inorganic phosphorus since it's a rock um, <laughs> so I, I don't know what right. the difference yeah, is that doesn't really maybe it's how sense. it's extracted or something yeah but um i i we we just felt adding that component to it plus the cost of getting certified and the the bureaucratic requirements that we're better off focusing on you know growing the best food we can grow and and since we don't sell retail it doesn't really drive any price premium for us yeah i think that's why it popped into my head because i was thinking about right restaurants they they might not care but also they just have more access to you like they know you they know how you grow and they don't so they're, they're not they already know you're really incredible grower and that you're going to use responsible practices whereas i think a lot of times when you're selling to consumers they might not have access to that relationship as much and so they might want the seal just because it's like right. well, a the, quick shortcut to right. understanding and the people that sell to consumers like if you look at mom's organic market yeah okay everything they try to do a hundred percent organic i respect that but I'll, i also have to say that you know some of the organic um, certification and, and pra- practices that farms have are a lot less sustainable than what we do. Yeah. I mean, as an example, you know, there's organic tomatoes grown in Baja, California, but they are uh, draining the water table. Mm-hmm. It's completely unsustainable. Um, we, our, our main focus is sustainability and resilience. And so you know we think we're actually in some ways aside from the indoor hydroponic nutrients we go beyond organic yeah absolutely okay we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back all right this episode is brought to you by root 11 potato chips from the moment root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992 They understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with John Shaw, the owner of Karma Farm in Maryland. Um, So, John, before the break, you mentioned a few times that in addition to all of your outdoor growing, that you also have some indoor hydroponic operations. Um, I find that really fascinating. I think this is the only farm I've ever seen that does both. Um, So how did that first get started? Uh, It got started because my son did a, a paper in college on hydroponics and in general, and then he, he was further looking at indoor hydroponics 
and effectively he kind of talked me into making an investment <laughs> <laughs> and creating a job for himself. <laughs> Smart kid, <Yeah>. wow. <laughs> Entrepreneurial, <There> convincing. <laughs> so that that's how it got started. Okay. We we have because we have this restaurant focus and we intend to continue with that because uh, we assume sooner or later life will hopefully get back to almost yeah. normal. Um, there's a lot of, even the most dedicated local buyer restaurants, uh, farm to table restaurants, there are things that they want that they can't get in the wintertime, especially like things that are green. And that was part of the reason we decided to make the investment. Um, there's also a lot of things that are very hard to grow in this climate, the mid-Atlantic, except for maybe a few weeks a year, uh, that are tend to have, they, they tend to be specialty items that are flavor enhancer type items that are easy for us to grow in an indoor hydroponic environment because mm -hmm. it has a very consistent temperature and humidity uh, the plants like it a lot. Uh, they, they're not heavy light demanding plants. I mean, they need light obviously, but uh, they're not like uh, fruiting crops right. uh, that need really a lot of sunlight. Uh, so they're easy to grow. They're specialty items. We can get a pretty good price uh, for them because nobody else has them. Um, like what? Give me some examples. Uh, like we grow all year long, we grow chervil. That's, you know, Fretcher, in, in Maryland, you might be able to get it for three weeks in the spring and maybe two weeks in the fall. Right. Uh, we grow bronze fennel. We grow uh, wasabi arugula. They're just weird little things that chefs really love. I mean, it's taken us years to develop the list. So I'm not going to tell you what it all is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, uh, it, it's pretty effective. And uh, we had to, we shut we shut that unit down because of the pandemic and because of the fact that we needed to clean it, mm. uh, really do a thorough deep clean on it. And we have a lot of people that are like, where's, we want, we want our borage flowers. Okay, <laughs> well, okay, give us a few more weeks and we'll get your borage flowers. Right, well, so, and when you say that unit, we're, we're sitting right next to um, one of the hydroponic units and you have two. Right. So this one grows mostly herbs, right? right. And then herbs you and flowers. Okay. And, uh, and just really specialty crops. Okay. And then the other one is just all greens, right? It's all lettuce. All it's lettuce. percent lettuce. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so do you grow any any of the crops that you grow in the um, indoor units? Do you also grow, like, are there any crops that you do both inside and outside? Well, for, yeah, for a while we stopped growing outdoor lettuce, but because we started the CSA, mm. uh, we are growing lettuce outdoors again. Okay. So we're doing both because we've had just really trips. We can't grow enough lettuce. Hmm. Um, and again, in Maryland, you can get lettuce. I mean, you can do a lot of season extension with lettuce with hoop houses, but it's it's pretty limited. It's really hard to grow lettuce when it's really hot, and you can't grow lettuce when it's freezing outside. So. Uh, we have it 52 weeks a year, um, and people like it. And it, there's other advantages to it, like when we when we ship our product out of our hydroponic units, we we are shipping a living product because it's rooted, okay. so it has a better shelf life. Huh. Uh, when you cut a head of lettuce, you know, if you if you wash it and put it in a cooler right away, maybe it's going to last five, six, maybe seven days. A rooted lettuce will last two or three weeks. Yeah. 
Yeah. What do you think about um, the flavor difference between the lettuce and the field and in the... Yeah. Uh, it, 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 be honest. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious. I actually, I don't think I've tried them side by side. Right. Well, it really, the flavor profile from outdoor, outdoor lettuce changes a lot uh. depending on temperature. So eating lettuce outside in the middle of the, from out the outside in the middle of the summer, it's going to get pretty bitter. Hmm. Um, I think that the indoor lettuce is somewhat bland. Uh, but super consistent, probably. It's consistent. Yeah. It has a nice texture. It looks good. And that's kind of part of the lettuce game. Yeah. So um, you might find a chef that says, you know, I only will do outdoor. I have a lot of chefs that say I only want your indoor stuff. Hmm. So because it it stay it's really fresh because right. it's, it's living. So it depends on what you want. Yeah. And when you were talking earlier about um, you know the farm, the sort of idea you have for the farm is that you know for it to be sustainable and resilient, um, that you know maybe organic isn't necessarily the most important thing, but this overall idea of sustainability. How do you apply that to the indoor growing? Like, what are what are some of the factors you think about? Well, as far as the indoor growing, there's one really negative factor to it, which is it uses a lot of electricity. Right. And at least for the unit that we have out here on our more rural farm, we have a 70, I think it's 76 panel solar in- installation that more than supports the electrical consumption for oh, the wow. farm. Yeah, it's it's right, right behind us. <laughs> right, right. Now... It's, that's really the only negative. Uh, the, the positive is, it is that it uses about a 30th of the, of the amount of water that you use with outdoor irrigation. Yeah. Because really no water leaves the system ex- except if it's in the leaf of a plant. So you don't have runoff. You don't have, you know, you don't have water loss. Um, so that that's, and then there's also the aspect of uh, organic farmers are constantly using plastic mulch to uh, control weeds. We don't have weeds indoors. Right. So we don't have to worry about using plastic to control uh, to control them. Uh, it, very rarely do we ever get any insects uh, in our hydroponic unit. Um, so we don't, there's no, not, I mean, we don't use even any OMRI approved pesticides hmm. generally. I mean, right. there's an occasional, we might have something, but uh, we're constantly monitoring it with uh, the uh, yellow stickies uh, yeah. tape. Um, that reminds me of another interesting thing that um, you do, which is introduce a lot of beneficial insects right. to the farm. Yeah. Um, and I think you were, were, you, were you breeding them even? We here? are breeding one particular insect. We actually okay. breed it in the hydroponic unit. Um, we buy most of the insects that we use. Okay. Uh, we'd like to breed more, but there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we have a pretty sophisticated IPM program. Uh, it, it, it's actually sort of the brainchild of my son, and he's done a lot of independent study. And uh, we do trap cropping, we do um, uh, beneficial insects, we do use some OMRI approved pesticides if we have to, but we only do that outdoors. Mm. Um, and uh, we're pretty proud of how clean the farm is because of that. Yeah. When you're deciding which, um, I mean, I think, you know, I could probably do a whole show on IPM, but um, like when when your son, Nat, or you are, are figuring out which kind of insects you need on the farm to control pests, do you have to, like, are you like looking for the actual pests themselves before you decide 
like do you have to identify which pests you have or do you just do it based on the plants because you know that certain pests are going to be attracted to those plants uh, we mostly do it based on our the history of what uh, we've observed here from the perspective of what insects come here okay like i mean here's an example of uh not ipm but just i think it's a, it's a smart thing to do which is we have hoop houses in our rural farm and we have hoop houses in the city and we have a terrible problem in our rural farm with cucumber beetles mm. and they're tough to deal with um, and so we grow almost all of our cucumbers in the city and mm. it seems like cucumber beetles really don't like hanging out in the city. <laughs> they don't like baltimore <laughs> <laughs> they only like north of the city okay. <laughs> they're right. suburban right. suburbanites they like horse country yeah <laughs> huh that's so interesting so that, that's just an example of you know a way to you know utilize what assets you have most right. effectively and yeah absolutely um well john um i think we should uh wrap up soon but um I want to ask you just like, you know, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is I come to the farm once a week. Um, now I'm going to be doing an, another day too, but um, I just being here and seeing all this food growing and, and like, you know, participating in, in providing food for people, it feels really hopeful <laughs> and, okay. and empowering, you know, mm -hmm. even if I'm not, you know, I'm only the one just doing the picking or the weeding. <laughs> um, but it, it does like, there's something about I think a, a farm, a productive farm like this, that just feels really hopeful. And right now, this in this moment we're in, not a lot of things feel that way. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to ask you, like, what, like, do you feel hopeful, hopeful for the future? Like, what are you thinking about when you think of Karma Farms' future in this kind of weird new world we're living right. in? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I try not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of going about it. Right, because everything is so... Uh, it's impossible to make any kind of uh, forecasts or predictions because everything is, seems to be changing so fast. Yeah. And um, I, 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 you know, I have this fundamental belief that people like food. They like good food. They, mm. they have to eat food. Uh, so, you know, the, the one way or another, there's going to be a market for what we produce. Um, Beyond that, I, it's hard for me to know, you know, or, or is there going to be another lockdown in Maryland? Is it, you know, is it, is it going to bounce back here? When's the vaccine coming? Is it coming? Right. You know, all those kinds of things. So I really mostly, I, I, we do long-term planning in terms of, you know, what kind of capital investments we're going to make next. Like, but we have to change it. Like we were planning on building another we were actually planning on building a heated greenhouse right behind you oh really uh yeah a large one um and gonna make that into partially a wash pack shed and also uh do some growing in there uh, we were also planning on um, putting in some additional um sort of smaller high tunnels for root crops but we've decided to just wait and see and like what's going to happen with the restaurant space so we've reduced our capital expenditures it's helped us it's helped us in terms of, you know, maintaining our bank account. Uh, and um, so we've been able to keep all, all of our employees, actually hire a little bit more. Mm. And, uh, you know, we feel pretty good about where we are, but it, it's hard to it's hard to do long term planning right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Lisa.
Thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.